1: COVID forty two. COVID forty
0: two. We have put out the announcement that we're probably gonna have like eight or ten of these left. And then we're giving up COVID forever.
1: Like everybody should.
0: We're just never gonna talk about it again. Although that might not be true. true. We could probably have a a COVID reunion maybe a couple months down the road just for fun.
1: I think that's probably a a good thing. So
0: bring Mike Ostrom back. We can't get him till June, so we might have to do a recap.
1: I, that's okay. So We'll just do what we got to do. So, of course. Sarah Vatter. No, we're going to start with Jerrica Burge really quickly. Oh, that's right. So, of course, Jerrica from the University of Minnesota Research Department. This is another um, results one that they had talked about early on where they looked at young adults, just 18 to 26, and barriers with access to food and assistance. The big barriers that people were having in terms of food insecurity and getting food was going out, fear of infection, safety. Um, Someone stated that they almost were robbed at gunpoint, mask adherence. Some people had troubles um, qualifying for assistance, uh, for food assistance, limited hours, discrimination, just all sorts of things like that, which was just another thing in a pandemic that people really didn't need to deal with.
0: Yeah, let's get over it. Let's just end this whole thing.
1: Meaning the pandemic.
0: Yeah, I've had it.
1: Yep. Anyway, so Sarah Vetter. Oh,
0: Dr. Vetter, PhD, Assistant Director of Public Health Lab at MDH. What a great speaker she was.
1: I actually made the comment this morning. I'm like, she's like brilliant and had a really fun personality.
0: She did. And here's the thing. This was like a nerd conference. I mean, she was talking about the most nerdy stuff and... Uh, we didn't lose anybody. We had over 200 people on, and it was just...
1: But she made nerd things easy and fun. Yeah. just, I mean, that right there.
0: Yeah, I felt like a total nerd when I was done because I was so excited about this talk. Okay. It scares me.
1: So she starts started with what drives a viral mutation. Like, why are we even... Oh, so I guess the today's topic is talking about the COVID variants that have now crept in. So what drives when viruses mutate and variants happen? So, yeah.
0: And obviously... You know, it's just like anything. The more times it happens, the more times things go wrong. And so for mutations, the more replications you have, the more errors. She talked a little bit about how in human cells, the, you know, the replication of the cells is slower. And this is crazy if you think it from a replication standpoint, that these viruses can replicate uh, you know, thousands and millions of times per hour. That would tire me out. Right, versus
1: like mammal cells once a year. It's
0: like, sorry, I'm busy replicating (laughs) for hours at a time.
1: Right. So anyway, a lot of mutations or errors actually can have an ecological advantage. Um, So yeah, how fast though is SARS-CoV-2 mutating? It's actually mutating kind of slowly, which is a good thing.
0: And she talked about how mutation rate is driven it's driven by a number of things, the frequency of replication, the fidelity of replication. Like, is it, uh, I guess I, I'm trying to think of a great way to say it.
1: How, it how the replication sticks to like the way it's supposed to happen versus kind of random right. replication.
0: And then selective pressures. Like is it, when it replicates, is that one that can survive? Correct. Right. So, uh, really amazing stuff. And I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's slower than influenza. I think that was interesting that it's like half the rate of influenza.
1: And a quarter of the rate of HIV. So that, to me, was a little scary when you're looking at HIV, of course. Yeah,
0: and she talked about the first variant that's been noted. That was, well, let me see if I can remember this off the top of my head. It was A614G, I think,
1: was the first
0: variant that was noted in January. And now it's built a whole family of well, variants.
1: that was the original -hmm. That was the original. That's not like a variant. That was the original SARS-CoV-2 that came from China.
0: Well, it says it was the first variant. No, no. Am I messed up?
1: That was the the first big variant noted was the B. One one nine thing. The B. One one seven. Excuse me. Yeah, the B. One one seven from the UK. The original. They call it a variant. This whole. A614G, but that's just the first version of SARS-CoV-2 of this exact strain, which has caused this entire pandemic.
0: Mm, I stand corrected. I, I know. So, of course, uh, that South African variant is now present in a couple of dozen countries. California variant circulating. Uh, you know, of course, the Brazilian one is actually showing up in Minnesota. First one. Isn't that great?
1: There you go. But why are the variants of concern? Um is because they can affect transmission, how fast the the virus can move around. They can affect the disease severity, the ability to diagnose the disease, the way we can treat it with the therapeutics. It also can impact the vaccine. So these are huge topics. One thing we want to focus on is this whole, where do the mutations often happen? Is that this receptor binding domain? Um, So the spike protein is what binds to um, the cell. the cell that interacts with the cell. So that's where they're focusing because that's where it's going to have the most impact on all these things I just mentioned, you know, versus who really cares what happens to the capsid or the outer layer of the virus. That's not really going to impact transmission disease severity and all of those things.
0: Yeah. So that's usually where they're seeing it. And interestingly, we we had asked her, well, you know, we had heard early on in the pandemic from a number of speakers that typically the variants are less virulent So they cause less severe disease. Correct. And is that still true?
1: So, so far, the big things that they've seen where the UK, the South African, and the Brazil variants all have like a common denominator, if anybody cares, is the N501Y. That appears to have a role in transmission, meaning it's spreading more rapidly, but it's not seeming to cause more virulence or more severe illness.
0: Yeah, I thought it was interesting how uh, the variant comparisons, and if you look at the countries reporting these variants, the UK one is in sixty-three countries, uh, where the South African one is only in twenty-six, Brazilian only in eight, and of course Minnesota was the first, and we're, we love to be first, right? And we were the first to get the Brazilian. Eye. But
1: it was a person who like traveled from Brazil.
0: Yeah, so, so it's pretty clear, right? And then the California one is only in one other country. So.
1: Right. So the South African and the Brazilian one actually have a different kind of variation, uh, mutation that seems more important for antibody binding, which could therefore at some point make monoclonal antibody treatment not as effective. Um, but these are all like seemings and possibilities. And so this is more you know impacting that whole um, treatment, not necessarily, again, the virulence. The one question I had asked towards the end, so I'm going to totally deviate from the bullet points here Stop. is, did okay, any of ahead. these have kind of a common denominator where the variant kind of came from? Like, even though there are all these different strains, a couple of them seem to come from immuno- immunocompromised patients as where they first identified the variant. Not saying that was for sure, but that was where it was first identified, so... Anyway. Mm,
0: interesting. So
1: I go back to the virulence because I kind of interrupted you, but this is a huge thing that even the news yesterday, they talked about, oh my gosh, these variants are here and it increases severity and increases transmission. And that's just not
0: yeah true. And, you know, of course, the big concern has been, do these variants react well with the vaccine? Are we still going to be protected? And there's been a lot of information that's come on about that. And basically she said that, the antibodies don't have to be perfect. You just got to have a lot of them, mm-hmm. and they just—it's kind of like a gang tackle, you know. You you'll jump on these; uh, so they'll attach to these things and and kill them by their numbers. And maybe they're not a perfect fit, but you still win. Correct. And that was kind of a sports analogy. I don't know if you picked up on that. I did. Okay.
1: So, really, bottom line of these four variants, the really the bad thing is just the increased transmission, not the severity. Very minimal impact on diagnostic testing. That's a weird side note, but it's still testing things positive. Vaccine, very minimal. Therapeutic effects, like we just mentioned, very minimal, except for that maybe with the monoclonal antibodies.
0: Yeah. She talked a lot about surveillance, and I don't mean like surveillance like you're a private eye. I'm talking about surveillance, looking for the variants and what people are doing in our in our country. Interestingly, uh, much like Sashi Shogun, uh, I'm doing a little uh, – Stuff in my garage, uh, getting samples and watching for variants of this COVID virus. I, I'm not sure you're aware of that, but but really, it was interesting how different states are sending certain number of of these samples to the CDC, like 10 a, 10 a week.
1: Well, now that's, I think, isn't that like the minimum that they, the now minimum. everybody in the country is supposed to be sending at least 10 a week to the yeah. CDC?
0: So the CD, that CDC partnership with these large reference labs, they're trying to sequence about 1,700 samples every week, looking for where these variants are going to pop up. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, none of this is being done at other sites in Minnesota. Actually, somebody had uh, sent in a chat when we were doing the echo, like, why isn't Mayo doing this? It's all being done at MDH and CDC. Right. Uh, MDH is using a lot of their labs that they have good partnerships with to kind of watch for these things just to see what pops up.
1: And this is, this is a very standard thing that they do with viruses. So it's just a random sampling goes to the CDC. Now, she did say that sometimes they are doing more specified things, like if there's some big outbreak or somebody um, – targeted. So if they're, they're noticing a weirdness, then they'll target like the context of that person. But otherwise it's all random that gets sent.
0: I thought it was interesting that if you get a variant, you don't just get one interview, you get two. And I'm, I'm just picturing how this is, and I'm not sure if this is true, but I'm picturing that they put you in a room with a large light on you and they investigate <laughs> and they're like interrogating you where you were. But
1: they're interrogating you from the other side of the one-way glass. That's right. <laughs>
0: Have you been in Brazil? So we have ways of making you talk.
1: Yes. So in Minnesota, because we don't like to, you know, do the minimum, we have actually been sequencing fifty to ninety samples a week just in our state lab. And so again, that's that's awesome. There's this I don't think we need to go into that S strap all weird thing, but um, I can't
0: even understand it. So yeah, we brought it or not.
1: Yes. Um I will they did actually, though, you know, kind of one of their own, yay, is that they were able to find this B117 a few weeks ago before anybody had even anticipated it hit our state and area based on this surveillance that Minnesota's been doing. So, I think as people who live in Minnesota, most people listening to this do, I think 90% of our listeners are Minnesota residents. Um, Minnesota's kind of, you can be rest assured that we're finding the variants as fast as they're appearing. Um, so, anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh it's been really interesting. We've actually had that B117. We've had 7 cases since the 26th. So As of the 26th. Though. As of the 26th. So it it's kind of going, but again, we had the number one case in the US in Dakota County. 53-year-old person.
1: Yeah.
0: But yeah, traveled to Brazil. So that because happens. Because that's that that's, happens. That's where I would go.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um and you know again that whole thing about variants um do they? Why aren't they causing more severe severe illness? And typically, they do not. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting how Dr. Vetter said, "You know, this virus has been very unpredictable, and we can't say for sure that that won't happen." Uh, although it's not typical, she still said it could happen.
1: So, I mean, really, you're still supposed to be doing all the things, even if you had the vaccine. Of course, still wearing masks, still social social distancing it for now did ask a question about the travel, because for a while, um, I think even with the new newest inauguration, they had said they're lifting the travel ban, but she anticipates that there'll be new travel restrictions as new variants come out, because they're trying to limit more variants being introduced into the population. I know Mexico recently, travel to Mexico recently just changed again. Yeah. That now you need to have extra quarantining if you travel there. And so...
0: Yeah, and I think it's interesting that... You know, there were questions asked about. Well, you know, let's say you're going to travel uh, overseas or you're going to get on a plane. At some point, are we going to have to have proof that we had vaccines? And it appears you're going to have to have a tattoo on your forehead. Okay, that's (laughs) not true, but no, there's some thought that you're going to have to have a card that says you have it. So, of course, I'm going to make my make my money making fake vaccine cards. Um, Yeah, there was
1: a lot on the news about that last night. Really? Fake? Well, not the tattoo or the the fake vaccine cards, but people like making fake vaccines. Oh, Um, they're way ahead of me. Yeah, sorry. So this, this kind of uh, then overlaps the whole vaccine question is this is how vaccines, you know, evolve. Think about influenza. You have to get a booster every year and that's because of a variant and changes in the actual virus. And so how long is this COVID vaccine that we're getting going to last? We don't know yet. Um, Mm -hmm. But that, you know, the Pfizer, the Moderna, which are both mRNA vaccines, Vaccines, Those are easy to modify to adjust for variants. So are you going to need boosters? Probably. How often? Who knows? How many? Who knows Um, at this point. But the good news is, is right now the vaccine does appear to be effective against the current variants that we know about. Um, Basically, I think her bottom line with the vaccine is hopefully that we'll get enough people vaccinated, herd immunity, that will stop this whole thing and get rid of it kind of like, smallpox.
0: I'm not sure. You probably did not see the email that we got later this afternoon. Uh, there was a study done, and I believe it's NIH. I could be wrong, but they said 95% of people still have uh, recognition of the COVID virus eight months after they had the disease. And so they feel that there's some immunity, eight oh, months. That's cool. I was going to send that to you, and I forgot, or I wanted to act like I knew I said something that you did not know.
1: But shouldn't we have more information like 10 months later? Because, I mean, it started in March in our country. No, anyway. we don't
0: want to rush it. <laughs> so
1: So anyway, I think this was, it was a super great talk. helpful.
0: Yeah, we begged her to maybe come back as one of our last 10 talks and hopefully towards the end of our COVID Echo, we will have her back one more time. And again, if you want to get on the COVID Echo, uh, you can get a hold of... Katie Stangle. No,
1: go to the MAFP website. Okay, Minnesota
0: Academy of Family Practice.
1: If you go to the mafp.org backslash COVID-19-echo, you can register. And that's where you need to go anyway to get your free CME.
0: Ah. You know, it's funny because there was a call about how the COVID echoes were doing in the country, and a lot of people are having trouble getting people on, but we just continue to get two or 300 people every week. So it's a great talk. Uh, Every week we got a lot of good speakers coming up, so please come back on, and you know, hopefully um, we'll go out with a bang.
1: There you go, and finish. Don't necessarily know what's happening next week, so stay tuned. It could be a surprise echo of COVID, or you can listen to Kurt and I pretend we know what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, we'll just make stuff up. All (laughs) right, might be reading
1: a lot of journals this weekend.
0: Yeah, well, thanks again for (laughs) listening, and hopefully we'll you'll be listening to us again next week. Uh, Have a good evening. And we'll let Battle Eggs take it away.
2: Come all you bold fishermen, listen to me. I'll sing you a song of the fish in the sea. So blow your winds westerly, westerly blow. We're bound to the southward, steady we go. Comes a bluefish, a wagging his tail. He comes up on deck and yells, "All hands, make sail!" So blow, you winds, westerly, westerly blow. We're bound for the southward. Steady, we go. Next come the eels with anguished tails. They jump up aloft and loose all the sails. So blow, you winds, westerly, westerly blow. We're bound for the southward. Steady, we go. the mackerel with his striped back He flops up on fridge and yells for the main tack So blow you winds, westerly, westerly blow We're bound for the southward, steady we go Up jumps the fisherman, stalwart and grim And with his big net, he scoops them all in So blow you winds, westerly, westerly blow We're bound for the southward, steady we go